Hey there, this is Pastor John Ware, lead pastor of Lifehouse Newport News, a church that exists to help all people experience life change through Christ. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. We hope it inspires you and gives you perspective to see how God is moving in your life. Now let's get to today's episode. Here's the thing. Today's message has been heavy on my heart. I'll just be extremely candid with you. Because I think whenever you talk about sex, there are probably a couple hundred people in this room, and there are a couple couple hundred different experiences, a couple hundred different feelings. Like only God knows what is going on in your mind right now, what you have experienced, what you're thinking. And what I do know is, is that sex has caused some of, some of your greatest pain, some of your greatest hurt, and it is currently causing some of your greatest pain, turmoil. And I, I, I have been deeply burdened for this message. But what I pray today is, is that this might not be a, a sermon that you want to hear but what I sincerely believe that it is one we need to hear. And there are some sermons that's, that you preach that you're just like, man, I can't wait. Can't wait to preach. And then there's some that, that, that literally all week, and, and you know what's coming up. You know that God has, has, has put it on your heart to talk about this, and it, 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 it weighs heavy. Because honestly, let's be honest, in this culture, we live in a, just one big sexual mess. And the church can't sit on the sideline. We can't sit on the sideline and not have a voice. We have to have a voice that helps people see what is God's best and what God originally intended. And let me say this. I don't come to you today saying, as sometimes preachers preachers do and have done, of do it the way that I've done it. I stand before you today a broken human being. Somebody who you know, in their past has had seasons of struggling with pornography, who one of the biggest events that, that, that woke me up in, in, in my life is being 15 years old and my girlfriend at that time coming to me and telling me that she's pregnant. I don't stand before you today perfect. I don't stand before you today saying, do as I've done. I stand before you today saying, I'm a broken human, broken sexually, but saved and put together by the grace, love of Jesus Christ. And really the truth is we all come today as broken humans. We all come today sexually broken. So the truth is I don't come to you today to to speak at you, but with a pastor's heart, a pastor's burden, I want to open God's word and as clearly, as lovingly, and as straightforwardly as I can present to you the truth that I see in this book. And like I said, I know that for some of you today, this has been the greatest source of pain in your life. And my goal today is to not be crass because I've been in some weird church experiences where they start talking about sex and the pastor is, is laying on a bed like in the middle of the stage, and I'm just like, that's weird. <laughs> so I don't, 
<laughs> oh, Lord. The goal today, the goal today isn't to be crass. The goal today is to be clear. And the, the goal today is to be caring and to present to you what God's word says. Why? Because it is in the truth, Scripture says, Jesus said, in the truth we find freedom. And my prayer today is, is, is that as we engage the truth of God's word together, that wherever you're at, wherever you are, that God would bring freedom to you today. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 20, and then we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. And um, I really felt that it was very important that as we talk about this topic, we don't start off with what I say but that we simply start off with, with two pretty big chunks of what God's word says and go, and go from there. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 20 says this. It says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. Even though I, I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power just as he raised the Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if, that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For scriptures say the two are united into one, but the person who was joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. It says this here, it says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. You can be seated. A 
I think from, from those scriptures, you can see why this message is, is heavy. It, it might seem that with this series that we are making light of the devil. And to be very clear, we are doing nothing of the such. We take the devil very seriously. Why? Because here's the thing. In the book of Genesis, we see that Satan did not even show up until Adam and Eve were in relationship. The devil hates unity. The devil hates purity. The devil hates God's best. And what we see is we have a culture being built instead of on God's best, on the devil's lies. And we see the three lies, the three statements that Satan made in the garden to tempt Adam and to tempt Eve aren't just lies he tells then, but they're the same lies he tells now. He's, he's not that slick, y'all. He just knows you. He knows us. Let me tell you what those three statements are. First off, he asked Eve, did God really say that? Did, did, and, and, and what you see, Eve actually states back to him what God said. Did God say that? Here's the thing, we have a culture questioning what God has said. Trying, trying to contort and twist and, 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 and trying to take what, what, what God has said and say, did, did God really mean that? Like, he, he said you can't eat from that tree, but did he mean that branch? Yeah, but did, did he mean that? He didn't tell you you couldn't eat from the, you know, the root. Secondly, there are no consequences. The, the second thing Satan said was, you won't die. Said, he said, you won't die. Basically, basically, what he was saying is there will be no consequences for your disobedience. We have a culture telling us it's just sex. Have fun. Do you, boo-boo. Live it up. If you feel it, do it. If it makes sense, do it. If it's good, do it. If it feels good, do you do it? Third, thirdly, Satan, Satan said, no, God is holding something back from you, man. Because he knows if, if you eat, then, then, then you'll be like him. So what he was essentially saying to him was, God is holding something back from you. We have a culture telling you, how dare God create something so good that you can't have? How dare God put a desire in, in, in you that you can't fulfill? These are the three lies that he has said. But honestly, what I, what, what I think we miss is the fact that God created sex. And for some of you, that can even be hard to like even grasp because you have such a dirty kind of connotation of that word sex. Like some of you right now, like your chest is tightening because I'm saying that word in church and it's actually your S word. Some of y'all get that later, all right? <laughs> Driving home from church. Oh, that's what he meant. But, but the sincere truth is, is, is that God created sex. And we have a culture trying to define what it didn't make. We have a culture trying to piece together and define what it did not even make. Growing up in church, man, it, <laughs> it was interesting. And maybe you grew up in a really religious environment where if they talked about sex, it, it, it was always, it's, it's dirty, bad, so save it for your spouse. <laughs> right? And then two, some, some of you, you were told certain things, but you're like, I've got these desires, what do I do with them? 
And, and your church actually wounded you instead of pastoring you. Your, your church just told you, beat the desire down instead of helping you process through them. And what that actually did, it, dis, it, it, it distorted your view of sex because you were not properly pastored through and taught and said, hey, not just you're a bad person because you feel that, but let me help you think through this the way that God says. But honestly, some of, some of you here, you've, you've, you've just been, sex is, you know, it's dirty, it's gross, you shouldn't do it. And, but at the same time, what we see, God created sex. Check, check this out, Genesis 1, 27, 28 says this here. So God created mankind in his own image. So God created man, so God knows what man feels like. He, he, he was the original designer and one that put man together. So he is intent knowing what you intimately feel, even the stuff you fake like you don't feel. He, he knows. It says, in the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And so do it. Let me just stop right there. Let me tell you what God was saying. He created male and female, married them, and then told them the first thing he said to them was not to pray. It wasn't to do a Bible study. <laughs> Be fruitful is what God essentially saying. Do it. Consummate it. Because honestly, like I think we forget because, because we are in the current culture that we are in. In, in Hebrew culture and Jewish culture, you were not married until you consummated that's how holy and sacred this sex was and that's why God said the first thing you do after you make your commitment is to now be together to consummate and to put a physical representation on the commitment you just made with your life but the devil does it the second truth is the devil doesn't want you to know that the devil doesn't want you to know that sex is good That sex in its, in its purest form, in its God-honoring form, is a blessing and good. And he said he blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply. So we see that sex was actually a blessing. But in our culture, here's the thing. And just like, just like, it, just like sin has done with every other thing. Sin in Genesis 3, it came, temp tempted, and they gave in. So Sin has taken something good and instead of it being something that blesses our lives, now brings many times destruction on our lives. And that is what sin ultimately does. And sin is simply a churchy word that simply means you have a proclivity inside of, of you to do the exact opposite of what God's best is. And scripture says after Genesis 3 that we all have this what is called a sinful nature. And I got three reasons why I know this is true. And their names are Dallas, Judah, and Jackson. Those are my kids. Because I don't have to teach them to be selfish. They come out the womb. Mine, me, mine, I. Psh, psh. I don't have to teach them. They come out of the womb saying it's about me and myself and I and and the thing is, because we are broken, because, we hit, because sin is something that, that we all deal with and that we all have, 
Sin distorts our sexual desire. It breaks it. So, so now because of sin, we have broken desires, distorted desires, and sin always brings, sep, sep, it, it always brings separation. And what we end up doing is we take something good that God, that God made that was supposed to be a blessing, and because of our sinful world and sinful nature and proclivity inside us to take something good God made and use it to take advantage of different people, we actually, it is now not a source of blessing. It is a source of shame, guilt, and condemnation. Here's the thing. We live in a culture telling us, look inside and what feels good, and if it feels good and it's okay, then do it. But here's the problem with just saying, look inside. What's inside of you without Jesus is broken. It's distorted. And what Jesus ultimately calls us to do, Jesus came on the scene. The first thing he said was to repent. And typically in church, whenever we hear that, that word repent, we think of like, feel sorry for something. But honestly, what that, what that word repent means in the Greek language, it, it's, it actually means to rethink. And part of following Jesus is basically saying this. I know my desires are broken. Jesus, and what we say here at this church is we think about, or think about it, it this way, poker chips. Think about each area of your life being, being poker chips. Sex life, money, emotions, your physical body, all the areas that make up you, whenever you start to follow Jesus, what you essentially do is you say, Jesus, I'm all in. Here, here is each area of, of my life. Help me to rethink every area according to your standard and to your best. And that's what we have to do with our sex lives. We can't compartmentalize our faith, y'all. We don't have a church life, a Jesus life, a work life, and then a sex life that is separate from your faith. You can't compartmentalize your, your life. You, you are, whenever you start to follow Jesus, he calls us to go all in. And our faith influences and informs every area of our life instead of being like, yo, Jesus, you can have this area and that area, but my sex life is off limits. You can have these areas, but God, you know, <laughs> I got me, I'd, I'd do me over here. That's not what following Jesus is. We have to put it all in and say, Jesus, we need you to help us rethink. And that's what we're gonna do today. Is, is, is prayerfully, the point is, God, we're gonna ask you, help us rethink our sex life according to what you say. Culture says it's your body. Do whatever you want with it. And really the truth is, times haven't changed, y'all. Because honestly, sometimes we can develop what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. Where, where what we do is we can look back and go, well, they weren't as technically advanced as we were. So they, they didn't know or have any insight on what we deal with now. Let me read you just a little bit, of, or let me tell you a little bit about this, this first portion of Scripture that we talked about in, in 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul is writing to a church 
in the city of Corinth. You can go back and study Corinth. It was an absolutely insane, godless, cesspool. And you can see it by some of the things that Paul put in that letter to that church. One of the things was he said, I have heard that there was somebody in your church that is sleeping with their stepmom. There's a son sleeping with his stepmother. Y'all like, that's in the Bible? Yeah. Paul says that. He says, I'm actually appalled that I've heard reports that there is somebody among you, a son that's sleeping with his stepmom. He said, that kind of stuff doesn't even happen in the world. And it's happening in your church. There was also people there saying, I don't follow Paul. I follow Apollo. It's like, nah, like, I'm, you know, I, you know and, and you know what? There was divisiveness. There were some people in that church getting drunk at communion. We're taking communion later. If I see y'all getting turned up, we're going to be having a problem. If I see you in the back taking a, a wine bottle out, this is the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the Lord. <laughs> if I see that, <clears throat> but that's what was going on in this church. The city of Corinth, it was where sex temples were. It was where they would actually go and what they considered worship was going and sleeping with temple prostitutes as part of their worship. And some of these people started to get saved. They started to follow Jesus. And Paul's like, yo, I gotta write y'all a a few things. I gotta help you guys understand. And that is the same heart that we cannot get chronological snobbery and just be like, well, that was for them. No, people are people and they've always been people. And I'm not stuttering, I promise. People have always been people and they will always be people, no matter how long people last. It's the same people back then. That the, it's the same. We can't develop chronological snobbery, y'all. We've got to know that what he wrote to them, he's writing to us. Let's dive into one more time what this says to us, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 13. It says this, you say, and what he's saying here, he says, you've quoted this. I'm allowed to do, any, any, I'm allowed to do anything. I've got autonomy. Says, okay, okay, yeah, yep, yep, you're right, but not everything's good, good, good for you. I can eat a lawnmower. Yeah, go, go, go for it, bro. Eat, eat that lawnmower. See how your body processes that. But it's not good for you. He says, and even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. What he's saying is, yeah, just be careful in, in your autonomy, you can become a slave. We think freedom is just doing what, whatever we, we want to do, but honestly, freedom most of the time leads to slavery. And that's what you see in our culture right, right now. People are like, I'm free to do well, whatever I want sexually. We have something called sex addicts now. Like, it's a condition. And some of you might not have been diagnosed but you would honestly say, if you can't say no to something, it's mastered you. Let's, let's move on. Number 13, you say, and he's quoting here the church in Corinth, or, or the city of Corinth. He said, food was made for the stomach, and the stomach for food. This, this was actually a cultural, a cultural statement that they would say in Corinth. It was like, food for the stomach, stomach for food. Food for the stomach, stomach for food. And what they were saying was, is like, if you feel it, eat it. 
If you feel it, do it. If, if you get the primal urge, do it. And, 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 and then he goes here. He says, this is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that your bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. I think we get mad when God gives us a sexual standard. I think at the root of a lot of our stuff is that we actually look at God and we say, God, who are you to give me a standard? And I had this happen the other day where I had my son and we were at Chick-fil-A. Closed on Sundays. You're my Chick-fil-A. Okay, sorry, just throwing some Kanye out there. We were at Chick-fil-A and my son got a cone, an an ice cream cone. And the person brought it to him and I said, hey Jackson, can I have a little bit of that before you dive into it? And Jackson gave me the look of basically, who are you to ask for a lick of my ice cream cone. <laughs> now, let me tell you what was going through my head. You wouldn't have even had that ice cream cone unless the money came out of my account. You wouldn't even be on this planet right now unless I, your mom and I got together And I thought that it was so funny that I gave this kid something that he did not even make, get, have the money to buy, get his life. And then he looked at me and said, who are you to ask for something that you gave me? I got my lick. (laughs) And this is a funny story, but this is the way we treat sex. Like, we're literally telling the God of heaven and earth, yeah, thanks for making it, thanks for putting me here, thanks for giving me, you no know, like, breath, air in my lungs. But yeah, this, yep, sorry. Mm-mm. And, and then, too, it's funny, because we are hypocrites. How do you treat something that, that you consider sacred? You put, you put what? Standards around it. Father's here, and you've got daughters. That Once you had a daughter, you bought guns. And you have the mindset, my daughter is sacred. And there will be standards that she holds. I've seen some of y'all treat your bikes, motorcycles. I see how y'all treat those. I see how you treat your gun. I, I, I see what you consider valuable, you put standards on. So why do we get mad at God when God gives us something sacred and puts standards on it? We're, we are hypocrites. We get mad at God for, for when we do the same thing with something we consider sacred. What he's saying here, though, is, is look, you can't just go by what you feel. Instead of, 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 instead of looking inside and being like, what feels good? Who am I? Instead of looking in, we've got to look up. 
And we got to say, God, I'm broken. My desires are broken, and I go all in. And instead of saying, I want this this way, God, my heart and desire is to submit my life to you and want what you want. An unhinged, unchained John, where, and, and I'm going to be candid with you in this sermon series because I don't want you thinking, oh, John, just, you know, he's just yelling at us and barking at us. Got this stuttering guy yelling at me. I just want to be candid with you because a, if John Ware just looked inside and did whatever he felt what he wanted to do, I, would, I wouldn't be a one-woman man. I wouldn't be a one-woman man. If I just looked inside. But honestly, I've had to say, God, I surrender my sexual standard to you. And, don't, and no matter where you find yourself sexually wanting, craving, all, all of these things, we, instead of saying, looking inside, what do I feel and what do I want, we've got to submit it to God and say, God, what is your standard? I need your grace to live up to it. The second lie is this. Culture says it's just sex. First Corinthians 6, 16 through 18 says this. And this is a paraphrased version. It says this, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our bodies, these bodies that were made for God, given in God-modeled love for becoming one with each other. I want to be candid. There is no casual sexual encounter. There will never be, nor has there been, a casual sexual encounter. God didn't create sex to be casual. He created it to be a sacred, holy, uniting, binding act that is a physical representation of what happens in the spirit as two become one. Do you want to know why sex always changes the relationship? It's because it was meant to. Some of you here are in dysfunctional relationships, and you know they are. But sex has changed the relationship where you can't even think functionally or clearly about the reality of your relationship because of sex. The relationship has changed. The bond has changed. There's something different. Do you know why? Because that's the way God made it to be. And when we treat it as casual, when we treat it as just something that is just sex, we miss the sacredness of it, the purpose of it, the force behind it. And honestly, what... The truth is, sex will make you act and think differently. And you know it's true. I don't, I don't know science. I don't need science. You have experience. It changes things. And some of you here, the reason you've probably heard of something called soul 
of something called soul of something called soul ties, where some of you are battling emotional and spiritual damage because of how casually you've treated sex. And you're like, why do I feel this? And why do I have this? And why do I still? Why do I still? And this is not condemnation. This is not shame. This is, this is not guilt. My prayer is that this is truth that leads to your freedom. Sex was never meant to be casual. Sex is actually spiritual. Because it is a physical, in the same way baptism rep, represents a, a, a physical expression of your commitment to following Christ. Sex is a physical ex, expression of two becoming one in the spirit. First Corinthians six nineteen through 20, it says this here. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The truth is this, y'all. The culture will tell you your body's yours. Do what you want to do. But here's the simple fact and truth. You are a steward of your body. A steward is simply someone that does what? Manages what has been entrusted to them. And as a steward, you are called to manage for the benefit of the one that has entrusted it to you. When you say, it's my body, I'm going to do what I want, what you are essentially telling God is, I'm not a steward, I am the owner now. And it, and it says, and, 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 you know, and what Paul's saying here is like, do you not know that your, your body is actually the temple? Like, we don't go to temples to worship God. You are the temple now, and you house the spirit of God within you. We don't come to a church to just be in God's spirit. You are the temple of God's spirit. And it dwells in you. I'm spitting on this row. I'm so sorry. I got spit flying all over the place. We're going we're gonna to have to hand out like face masks things. But you are now the temple. You don't go to a temple. You are the temple. And what Paul is trying to do here is get them to see the sacredness of their bodies. The sacredness of what they've been entrusted with. The sacredness of what they've been called to steward. You are a steward of your body. Okay, John, this is all great, good. I understand it, sort of, kind of, maybe. Now, what are we called to do? How do, how do we get practical? John, I, I know, blah, 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 blah. So what are we called to do? We're going to transition here, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. Can we put that back up? Please. Throwing a curveball here. It is God's will. Have you ever wondered, like, what is God's will, right? So many of us, were so concerned about where we're going to live, how much money we're going to make, what job we're going to have, what kind of car, house, family, all of these things. What God's, this is one of the only times where scripture is, like, abundantly clear. This is what God's will is. God's will is not a do, it is a who. God's will for you is to become a person, not to just have stuff. It says it is God's will. So if you want some clarity on what, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, and that is a Churchy word. Let me tell you what that word sanctify means. It's simply to become more like Jesus. To become more through the work and power of the Holy Spirit working inside of, of, of you. To become a Christ-like version of you. And that's what I love. God is not trying to make robots. He's trying to take, trying to take you and your personality, you and, and your sarcasm, you and, and your Excel-loving self, you and your mouthy self, and create a sanctified version, Jesus-like, Jesus-loving version of you. That's God's will. 
Then he says that you should avoid sexual immorality. And here's the tough one, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. The call is to control. In a culture that tells you, do you, boo-boo, the call of a Christ follower is control. And I love, it says learn to control, because honestly, some of y'all's, some of y'all's school will be different. But let me just be honest with you, some of my school in, in putting in place healthy, God-honoring sexual practices was getting, uh, was, here's thing, getting accountability. Who's, who's speaking into my life? Who, do I have parameters on, on, on my phone so do you know what? I'm not just clicking on everything. Is there someone that is watching me? Is there someone that, and it's, it's not intrusion, it's accountability. My wife has full access to every password that I have. She can go on my phone any moment, anytime. And look at, what, and, and look at whatever she wants, whenever she wants. But I also do, I have people in my life that I know if they sniff anything, they sniff behavior, they're gonna call me out. They, and you know what? They've got access. I allow them to. Learn to control. Here's the truth. Passion and sexuality is kind of like fire. Now, I really prayed about how far I should take this message illustration. Because the John Ware that wants to make a point conflicts with, the, with burning this building down. <laughs> and with our insurance. Because I like to make points clearly, and I believe if we could start a fire... That would really make the point, but it could also burn this building down, and we, uh, our church goes under. And I will be doing prison, prison ministry from the inside. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to be doing that. But honestly, there is nothing wrong with a fire. A fire in the right context, in the right place, brings light, warmth. It can actually, you can roast s'mores. Praise God. Fire, it can bring a good environment. It can create a candlelight environment, or, you know, it can create a romantic environment. Fire isn't the problem if it's contained. If, it, if it's got a container. If it's got a place for it to be used for its intended purpose. But when you see fire outside of its intended purpose... If you see a fire that is not contained, we see the power of fire in Australia right now that is not contained. We see the power of fire in California right now when, when, when fire is not contained. Now, honestly, I've been in church a real long time, and what I typically saw is that when, when you're preaching and teaching on this stuff, you, 
you, you know, you would almost use like you know, shame and guilt to stop doing it. And, and really what that was doing, it, it, it was just kind of like taking some water. And, and, and I'm not going to dump the whole thing because cleanup crew, you know. But when honestly, it's not that we need to put the fire out. It's not, like, it's, it's, it's not like I'm saying here, put it out. But what I'm saying is, is it needs a proper place to function. It needs a container to operate in. And honestly, instead of shaming you and guilting you and condemning you, the heart today is to, is to say, use it in the right way. The, the container that God has set up for this fire, for this flame to be used is in the context of a covenant marriage. And some of y'all, just as Satan said, <laughs> John, that's so old school. Do you know what culture we live in? Come on now. But honestly, what we see in that is we, we're actually showing our pride and chronological snobbery. When the call isn't to, is not to let the flame do whatever it wants to do, the call is to learn how to control and use the fire in its God-honoring, God-ordained, God-like purpose. Hebrews 13.4. You know, some of you are like, all right, John, practically help us here. You know, this is what 13.4 says. It says, stay on good terms with each other, held, held together by, by love. Be ready with a meal, a bed when it's, needed why some have attended hospitality without that's not it that's the wrong verse uh that has nothing to do with sex uh production team did y'all it is that verse but that's not the verse hebrews 13 4 Anyway, this is what it says here. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. What it says here is keep the bed pure, meaning in marriage, in the container of marriage, the marriage bed is, is like, if you both agree to it and you both want to do it, like it's, sex is actually, and this might for some of you sound really uncomfortable, but it is actually a form of worship to God. If done in the right context, the right place, with the, with the right person, it is actually a confirmation of you saying, God, I believe your word is true. I believe that your word is true. Can I have somebody come up here and start playing something? It's 1015. But the thing is here, the, the truth is a lot of y'all are saved, but you're out of control. A lot of y'all are saved, but have no control. Some, some of you here, sex is like a wildfire. It is literally in your life right now causing damage and hell and destruction. And you need to get it back, you need to get it back in its proper context, its proper place. 
And what we say in our culture is, oh, if it's not hurting somebody, no one cares about God. They say, well, who is it actually hurting? No one actually asks, is it breaking God's heart? You get your fire under control. First off, understand the, understand the lie that you are believing. Culture lies. Secondly, repent. Re, rethink. Ask God, like, God, I surrender to you. You need to put in place bound, boundaries, lines you won't cross. Some of you here, you need to get help. But ultimately, the, the call was to surrender your sexuality. Whatever broken piece, whatever broken lens you see, you, you see sexuality through. Like I said, we all gotta do this. And I'm telling you what I've had to do. I told you what an uncorked, un-whatever John, 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 John Ware is. I've had to surrender my sexuality and say, God, I need you to help me see this from your viewpoint. Surrender your sexuality. Because honestly, y'all, one of the ways that we show Jesus is Lord is how we treat our sex life. You can preach all day, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, but if he's not Lord of your sex life, is he, is he really Lord? Looking at scripture, I, it's, it is hard for, for me to, to say, if Jesus isn't Lord of your sex life, how can he be Lord of your life? And what are you telling people about who God is? What church historians say is one thing that marked the early Christians was they were stingy with their body and generous with their money. And what do we see now? Typically, we're generous with our body and stingy with our money. It's just switched. And my prayer is that we would have a people, that Lifehouse Church, that we would shout to the world who God is and what God's like by us being a church that that is said about us. Man, they, they, honor God. they honor God with their body. They are stingy with their body and they're generous with their money. They take care of their own. They bless people. And we've got systems in place where honestly, if you need financial help, if you need financial resources, we have systems in place at this church to get you the help you need. And we are honored to take care if you call this church home. So, so, so y'all, here's the call. It's, it's more than just about you. It's about what God wants to shout and show through you through the way that, that, that you live. How would it look like if you had a girlfriend come up to you and be like, hey girl, you going to the club tonight? No, I'm going to small group. Food from the stomach, 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 you know, stomach for food. Nope, I wanna honor Jesus. What's up, bro? You wanna go strip? You wanna go to the strip club tonight? Nah, man, I'm done with that. I'm done with that. Why? Well, do you really wanna get into it? Those girls dancing on those poles, that's someone's daughter. It's God's daughter. And I'm over here. Oh. And, and you know what you're actually doing? They might joke on you, but secretly they respect the heck out of you. The problem is they're enslaved and they can't say no. 
How would you shout and share and show to your friends and family who God is and what God's like through the way you handle your sex life with? Thank you again for joining us on the LifeHouse Newport News Podcast. If you're ever in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to join us at one of our live worship experiences at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Kiln Creek Movie Theaters. Until then, feel free to check us out at www.theaterchurchnn.com or on any social media platform. Thank you so much, and God bless.